hello everyone. As we speak, it's London EdTech Week in the UK. So to celebrate, we're putting out an episode of the EdTech podcast every day this week. You'll be hearing from a mixture of amazing teachers and educators, ministries of education, EdTech companies, sleep specialists, and much, much more recorded all over the world. If you enjoy listening, give us a shout out on Twitter at Podcast EdTech and share the London EdTech Week hashtag, hashtag EdTechWeekLDN. Normal service resumes next week. Enjoy! So I'm here with Anjali Tiwari from Orgly, or Augmented Learning as the non-abbreviation from India. So welcome, Anjali. Thank you so much, Sophie, for having me here. So you were taking part in the Next Billion EdTech Prize. Yes, I was. So tell me more. So what does your work entail? What kind of problem are you solving in the world of education? Sure, sure. So Orgly is an AI-enabled platform that uh, brings together knowledge and skills every day. What we realized in the education system that we were doing a great job on curriculum and great job in ensuring that marks were a measure of success. But in the real realm, that doesn't really stay true. What really matters in the real life is the future skills of being able to assimilate the amount of information that you're getting hit by and being able to communicate your perspective. So that's why we created Ogly, so that children are aware of their world. They have a point of view and they express themselves better. And when they do that, they immediately get feedback on their fluency, on their thinking, on their language control. We saw those as essential skills that will make sure that they're successful. Can you describe, like, if I'm a student and I want to put all those skills to the test, when I go into Orgly, what would be an example scenario of, I'm guessing, that would be augmented in that way? And Yeah. So why don't I tell you the user journey of a student okay. who comes yeah. in? Now, when you log into Orgly, what it does is that it clearly assesses your level of comprehension. So I could be an 11-year-old with good reading, great reading habits, and hence the comprehension of that of a 15-year-old. Or I could be a 14-year-old who's got the level of a 9-year-old. So Orgly will first assess you for your level of comprehension and then assign your levels. Post that, it allows you to personalize the content that you want to read. So between the genres of nation building to environment to science to just regular stuff that makes kids curious, you could select your genres and get interesting exercises. So I click onto an article. What it does is after reading the article, it tells me to summarize the key points that I've understood. Now when the child summarizes the key points he's understood, then the platform gives him feedback on saying, yes, you got three of them right, but you could have picked up these two other two as well. And by the way, as you summarize back to me, these were some words that you could have used more effectively or your speaking pace could have been slower, faster. So it's comprehensively giving him the feedback. This is his personalized activities that he's curious to read about every day. Very interesting. And then so are you seeing this mostly utilized in a kind of flipped learning approach? So it's outside of the classroom, at home or is it in the classroom? Yeah, so right now we're experimenting outside the classroom, but uh, so it's really helping to change the conversations that parents have with children because it also comes with a parent pack which is allowing the child to design the rewards that he merits. So I could be a child and I could have that conversation with my parent to say, if I were to accumulate 5,000 points, can I have my Nike shoes? So they're setting mutual goals to go through this journey. Having said that, we do see this extremely relevant for the school scenario as well. What we did see as a problem statement in the schools also was being teaching children on static content. 
and everyday current affairs change and there are great conversation starters for classrooms as well so how do you sort of augment the classroom experience for the teacher to use ogly as a platform to pick up the recent most stuff to discuss and um, when did you launch and you know what's next what's your big focus yeah so we've launched this year only and we are in a couple of schools in uh, delhi right now what we will do is we will go across to and expand our impact in the b2c retail uh, segment as a subscription model and we'll go across covering more schools in india before we head out uh, and take the journey towards southeast asia and middle east very interesting so direct to parents yes yeah, yeah, direct yeah, to yeah. parents because i think the if the consumer is the learner in the center let's keep the focus on him then everything else is really an enabler what's your experience been like here who have you met that you've had interesting conversations with here in gesf my top of mind is really stephen pinker okay was, i'm so annoyed i missed <laughs> yeah. tell me tell me tell it's, me what he said it's totally been my day and he was very very excited about the stuff that we're doing and we pretty so much you, you had yes, a one to one yes. with him oh correct, great correct correct and i was i was actually very clued on and very keen that he joins the journey except the fact that he's got a lot of things going for him so he's pointed us out to some uh, articles that is something that we will incorporate back in ogly so that he was very excited to share and the second one has been paul kim who's uh, with the stanford university and driving the agenda on critical thinking so we've had some exciting conversations that you will see play out on the platform that's great with steven pinker as well did you see him present because i yes. missed, and so what was the main of essence of the presentation if you can main essence of the presentation was around the fact that uh, you know overall prosperity is going up happiness is going up so however much we might point out to individual experiences the fact is that there's enough in data saying that you know it's getting better for the world overall and uh, it's great to be optimistic about it yeah yeah so there's a lot of amplification of certain news items but they're not necessarily a reflection of the true experience in the long tail of things uh, absolutely absolutely so that that was a good positive message that he left us with so. yeah yeah well it's good to be positive sometimes what was your experience like being in the next billion edtech prize like have you you entered you came through all these different pitches well it was an honor firstly to be nominated so early in our journey for the first billion but i think we see that uniqueness of the idea that we bring onto the table so i do see people getting more serious about future skills and that's a wave that's definitely going to accelerate and it was exciting to see the passion that my fellow co-founders and other startups had and the problems that we were solving so that whole appreciation of saying my god there are so many ways of solving for the next billion and so many aspects to solve in different continents i'm i'm actually humbled by that experience so you know you sometimes feel that you are the rock star then you're like wow <laughs> there's so much good stuff happening over here so yes yeah, inspiring seeing people uh you know present in their different ways you always can take something from it yes absolutely absolutely and and more more and back to the stephen pinker conversation that you were talking about determination you know that whole determination and the grit that you see amongst all the founders and you're like okay <laughs> some people also feel the yeah taking the feedback uh, yes. and like okay okay i can take that on board yes yes yeah, i can yeah. just you know deep breathe and come back yeah. with a fresh day tomorrow morning that's brilliant If people want to find out more about what you're doing, what's the best way for them to go about doing that? So we have website uh, links up and ready so you could go and type out https a u g l i . a i. So the ogly site is up and running. I'm Anjali Tiwari, easily accessible on LinkedIn as well. Are you on, a Twitter person? Yes, we we are on Twitter with think with ogly. Okay, think with ogly. Okay, wonderful.
Well, Anjali, thank you so much. Okay, brilliant. So I'm here with Yasmin Amin and Adnan Mahmood. So thank you very much, both of you, for taking the time out of your day today. Yasmin, could you tell our listeners a little bit about the work that you do, where you do it, and why you're here today at the Global Education Skills World Forum as well? Hey, hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Yasmin Amin, and I'm from Malaysia. I'm the uh, top 50 finalist for the Global Teacher Prize in 2015. And I was the first uh, teacher to be nominated uh, from Southeast Asia and Malaysia. And uh, I'm here today because um, we're part of the Varki Teacher Ambassadors community. We are called the Legacies, okay, because um, we are here also as mentors to the uh, current top 50 finalists of 2019. And I also have a session earlier this morning. It's uh, for STEM for girls, having it like 50-50. So that's my session. Yeah, Yeah, thank you. I spent seven months in Malaysia when I first left school. Oh, so so you came to Kuala Lumpur? I was in Kuala Lumpur, but I also, I spent five months in Sarawak in Sabah. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, and then flew back through there. But yeah, loved it. It It's brilliant. (laughs) Okay, it's beautiful. Okay, and uh, Adnan, how about yourself? Could you tell us your story a little bit? Uh, Yeah, sure. So my name's uh, Adnan. I was a top 50 finalist in 2017. That's why I'm here today. So I've been invited for the past three years. So I was representing the UK uh, as a top 50 finalist, UK all the way from London, um, especially East London. And yeah, so my specialist area is enterprise and entrepreneurship. So my experience in the UK was about developing enterprise entrepreneurship and how we can link it to curriculum and looking at school-based learning rather than just tests and rather than just um, exams and rote learning. It's about how can we prepare our students for the future and for the real world. And which school was that with? Barking Dagenham College in Essex. And so now I notice on your badge you've got Ministry of Education, UAE. Yeah, so, so, how did, so what happened in between? Yeah, so then through this shortlist I was recommended a, to apply. I went through the process and I applied to work for the Ministry of Education. Uh, so now I've migrated and now I work in the UAE. And so what does your role entail here? So I work for the Ministry of Education. I'm still within the classroom along with various leadership roles. So I manage the vocational aspect. So again, same kind of line, which is vocational, uh, skill-based. How can we make teaching and learning more applied? Okay, so we're definitely going to come back to that because uh, I hope that we will be launching a new series on vocational and adult education. So we'll come back to you just in a moment. Uh, Yasmin, can you tell us a little bit more about your work? And obviously you were here, I think, talking about STEM. So what was it that you think picked you out from among many teachers to, to come and represent here that you could share with our listeners, many of whom will be teachers as well and want to know what, what kind of gems they can pick out and put into practice as well? Okay, thank you, Sophie. Basically, I teach chemistry in school and science and also life stories to my students. My students are generally boys, 13 to 17 years old. And I've been teaching in the same school for the past 15 years, uh, which is a total of 17 years of teaching as a teacher. And uh, being here, this is my first time as a presenter or, or uh, basically I join a forum. And uh, all this while I've been here as a participant. And... To be here is actually quite powerful because uh, year after year, we get to unlearn and relearn as an educator. You need to venture out and uh, look for activities or sessions you know, to enrich yourself. So I would encourage teachers to actually have one 
uh, forum or any education forum per year that you can join as a participant first and then after that try to see if you can fit in and if you can offer something because there's always something that you have as a teacher that you want to share to other people. So like today I'm, I was sharing about what I do for my students as boys and how do I empower them to empower girls. So if I don't do that, if I, if I don't do the sharing session, no one else would know. And what was that empowering work that you were talking about then? Could you describe exactly what it is? Okay, I took my students to hiking sessions. Uh, we went to Sabah in, uh, and we hiked Kinabalu. Ah, yeah. I've been up that mountain. Oh, oh you've been yeah, on the mountain. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. Um, uh, we won uh, the Brian Lara Prize Award for that. And um, we used the money to hike Kinabalu. And although I didn't reach, I reached about 2,700 of height. You get a bit like, well, the yeah, yeah, yeah. sickness. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I was hit by acute mountain sickness. So, but my boys did. And along the way, there was only me and another uh, female teacher. So we didn't include any male teacher in it because we thought that we want to see how our boys are going to take care of us. And true enough, they took care of us like princess. They even said, a teacher, you're like a princess because, you know, we have to hold your hands and uh, hike up, you know, certain parts that's quite difficult. But it taught them how to deal with women in general. Like how do they, how do they see us as, as persons so that they know how to, how to react with the girls. Because mm-hmm. you know how in a boys' school where they always thought that girls are a less superior mm-hmm. um, gender. And it's my role to actually teach them that that's not the right way to do it. So it's not just yeah. about chemistry, it's about no. respect. And yeah. then that feeds back into chemistry yes. and going into the world of science yeah, and that yeah. kind of thing. So it's chemistry, right? so we create chemistry between us. Yeah, yeah. chemistry <laughs> on a different level. Yeah. Okay, brilliant. Okay, and then Adnan, so vocational. So I'm really interested what you're seeing here in the UAE and what, what the kind of aspirations are for vocational and adult training. Because obviously it seems at home that there is more of an appetite for learning which is hands-on and you know gets people what they need to kind of survive. And that doesn't always have to be a transactional thing about jobs, but... Just making it a bit more tangible. Um, no, I absolutely agree that, you know, vocational education, what students do, they can't just go in to prepare them for an exam and do rote learning uh, so that they can pass for the exam. How can we as educators prepare our students for the future? How can we prepare our students to cope in the real world? Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's all about developing those uh, skill sets. Uh, so with that notion in the UK, I believe it was in 2015, 16, I was awarded Vocational Qualification Teacher of the Year nationally, uh, which stemmed on to a that's few fantastic. other awards. But, you know, that's where my heart is. And so what, what is it that you're doing? What is it that you're uh, doing? I develop many projects in the UK, develop many projects that link project-based learning to industry. So my specialism area is business. Okay. Uh, so I will get students to develop their business ideas, develop their business concepts and present that and pitch that to industries for funding, and I had numerous students starting up their businesses. Well, this is what I was going to say. So have, did you then have students go on to be entrepreneurs yeah. of their own? Yeah, yeah. I have, yeah. S- have students start that have started up floral store businesses. That's brilliant. Uh, sweet companies. The most innovative idea was midwifery students. They developed an idea of a tiptoe shoe, okay. uh, which was developing a shoe that could start off from a flat shoe so that they can go back and forward and if they're in a hurry, but when they get to work, they can pop in the heel. And it turns into a professional 
working. So the idea heel. that people, you know, wear trainers quite often to work and then take them off, put their other shoes on. Oh, yeah. that's interesting. So that was a very innovative, creative idea that they came up with. And it was, you know, and that's what I believe if students have ideas is how can we encourage that? So we developed that idea, got that into a different curriculum era that developed 3D printing. Uh, they actually 3D printed this concept and that was presented to Barclays and it was presented to various other Fantastic. CEOs. And, well, I'm interviewing you after this, Cameron Merza from the University of Bahrain, and he's their head of business transformation, and they've just put all of their learner records on blockchain with Learning Machine. And I know that he was talking about how they're trying to develop up this idea of, we think of like fintech, and, you know, London's got a really developed fintech sector, but getting some of that sector expertise and opportunity out to the Middle East as well. So are you sort of seeing in your role, I'm just wondering... At the moment, is it sort of still that traditional pathways thing of, okay, if I go to school and I'm successful, I go to university, I get a job? Or is that starting to change as well? And is there more of a nuanced landscape of further education colleges or coding boot camps, all that stuff? Yeah, so right now, there's a new... Well, I work for the government schools and um, there's a new stream that's being developed. Uh, so it, last year was the pilot year. We've developed it into the second year now. So from grade nines and now our grade nines have progressed onto grade tens, which is called professional stream. And this stream is solely based on for applied and specialised subjects uh, so that students can choose specialised subjects that they can want that or that they want to focus on. So you've got subjects like engineering and you've got multimedia, business management, events management. So these are the various subjects that they can choose as an elective to focus on from grades 10, 11 and 12. Brilliant. And this is something new, you know, before it was just one stream that just focused on generic subjects. But now there, you know, there's a new stream that focuses more on vocational side. Okay, thank you. Yasmin, what's next for you? So I think you said, what year was it? Was it 2015? Yeah. Yeah. So 2015, we're 2019, I don't yeah. remember. You know, what would you love to see in the next sort of six months when you come back here and you make all these new connections? What do you go and do with them? Because being a Varkit ambassador has actually changed my life 360 degrees so many times. <laughs> and um, although I didn't win the ultimate prize, but uh, like what I've told my fellow VTA family, my goal at the time was to have my own STEM lab. And now after five years, I finally got to own one it's not it's not technically mine it belongs <laughs> to the school but at least i have convinced people to invest in it yeah and uh it's not only a modern chemistry lab but you also have a small part where i converted it to forensic lab because i'm, I'm dealing with forensics now, i was a former uh, engineer before and i also worked in the forensics department before i became a teacher so i'm instilling this new ideas and also knowledge to my students and after this, we're going to open the lab for the community to come and learn about forensics. So that's what I've been, I'm looking forward to. And I work with the local municipal, who is our main um, funder for the lab. And the local municipal has already agreed to have a program for the community. So it's a forensic program for the community. It's, it's as simple as um, doing finger lifting technique because it's, uh, you don't need policemen actually to do that. I mean, I can teach you how to do it. You just, you just need the eyeshadow. <laughs> yeah, and you, you just need eyeshadow and also, you know, a blush, a brush. That's it. And you tell your students that, you know, how a thief will actually leave their fingerprint because they're agitated while they're doing, you know, uh, any crimes and they'll touch their hair, which, which has oil in it. And I relate that to chemistry because, you know, oil is actually 
alcohol plus uh, carboxylic acid and you get ester, which is oil. So it goes, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm giving you the, you know, the science aspect of it. But we need to do that. I'm just brushing yeah. it. But we need to do that because we need to to empower the society, actually, because I want the parents to know how important STEM is. And with that, if the children can actually come to the lab on weekends, I don't mind spending my time on the weekends. Rather than I see them going to cyber cafes, playing games all the all the weekend and not doing anything. So it's it's good if we can have that. I mean, it's it's still a long way to go, but we're taking the small steps for that. I've heard so many conversations here about you know getting the parents in into yeah. this conversation, yeah. and that is the main thing because now, right now, I think about in January when I'm the teacher in my school. She messaged me and she said that, do you understand what my son was writing? Because the first day of school, normally the first graders, they were asked to fill up a form on their own to write what is their ambition. And this boy wrote Y-E-T-E-B-E-R, you know. So to other people, they thought it was Yeteber. But I knew what he wanted to say because he couldn't spell right. So he was actually writing a YouTuber. He wants to be a YouTuber at seven years old. And the mother was shocked because she didn't know. She didn't know that, you know, YouTube is, is an occupation. Yeah, it's a thing. But she was like, why can't my son, you know, have, have an idea that oh, I want to be a doctor or an engineer? I said, because that is not what she, he knows. He's been looking at things from a different point of view. So he sees social media as something very powerful. So that's why we need the parents to understand that, okay, occupations like doctors and engineers are there. But we also have, you know, a long whole list of... Other occupations. If he said he wanted to be a, a mainstream news anchor yeah. or journalist, yeah. they probably still would have said, why don't you be a doctor? <laughs> like, at least they get it. Like It's not that different. Yeah. And yeah. that's why we have also a program in my school. There's this, uh, a local news. Uh, it's called Astro Awani. Came to our school and then have a pilot project in January. So I have a group of students, 20 of them. So they are called the Young STEM journal- uh, Journalists. So at the moment, they are collecting videos and um, when time I get back so I have to filter and see what are the news that's uh, useful for the uh, to be uploaded into the website so now they want to they want the stories to come from the children and um, in the beginning I questioned them I said oh maybe you get lazy but they said no we want the children to be able to tell their story from their point of view so I was like okay that's that's a good uh, opening you know and it, it can actually teach a student how to report scientifically which is more important rather than just, you know, take a microphone and record anything. So, yeah. Okay, brilliant. Well, and if people want to connect with you and find out more about what you're both doing, what's the best way for them to do that if they're listening in? I'm on Facebook and Instagram actively. Okay. Yeah, so my Instagram handle is Raina Min, R-A-I-N-A-M-E-E-N. Okay. On Facebook, I'm Yasmin H. Amin. Okay, wonderful. Yeah. Yes. Wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing today. And uh, how about you? Uh, for me, it will be Instagram and Twitter. I believe my handle is Adnan Mahmood. Okay. Uh, so you can find me on Instagram or Twitter. Wonderful. Thank you both. No problem. Thank you very much. I'm here with Cameron Mirza. Hello. Hi. How are you? Uh, I'm good. And then we were just saying, so it was a year ago yeah. that we recorded a little podcast episode here and now we're back and it's gone very quickly uh, the year's gone really really fast and uh, but it's good to be back here isn't it I think yeah. it is yeah we were just saying there's like lots of really interesting people here and yeah they've like really doubled down on the content uh, yeah. this time around so that's great yeah it is I think you know as we were talking earlier this is now dubbed the Davos of education 
and I think the content so far has been has been quite really strong, really good speakers. If you if you if you work in education and you and you don't leave here with some really good ideas to take back, then you know you shouldn't be here. Yeah, get out, Just get <laughs> yeah, out of the classroom. Yeah, that's right. And so, can you tell us a little bit about what you've been doing in the last year? Some people listening in will will have seen all of, all of your press releases and that kind of thing, right, but uh, right. others may not have done. When we met a year ago, we talked. I was quite intrigued by a session they ran on blockchain and it made me think about how we can serve our students in a better way. So one of the challenges that students face, not just at where I work, but around the world, is that they're often um, there are barriers in the way of getting their credentials uh, approved. So typically a student will want to go and travel abroad and do their master's or PhD or they want to get a job. And many countries still operate in this kind of way of, look, we need to verify your certificates. We need to, we need to basically, you know, get, get them stamped. That's not a very productive way to help students because they're often waiting three, four, five weeks, waiting for registration departments to verify the certificates. So the one thing I took away from last year, every year I try and take one practical thing away and think, right, I'm going to try and implement that. We became one of the first universities in the world to use blockchain technology to issue our certificates to students. So what does that mean? It means that, well, first of all, there's a lot of fraud when it comes to certificates in many parts of the world. So that cuts that out. And basically, in terms of like basic blockchain stuff, it's portable, it can't be tampered with, and you've got your verifications, your credentials for life, and you carry around with you. So for the listener... I'm just showing you what it looks like, Sophie, on, on my phone. So the students will have their wallet on their phones, smartphones. They will click on their University of Bahrain app and that would come their certificates in one, two, three, three seconds. And so all the certificates are on there. So employers and universities can basically verify students' qualifications in four seconds. I think the broader picture for me is that you've got a lot of people who are you know, refugees from their countries, they often have to leave without their certificates. You know, this cuts through all of that and it gives people credentials that are lifelong and they're able to transport with them wherever they go despite their circumstances, which I think is, is really valuable in, in the kind of the world we live in today where five million people have basically have had to flee their own country. But also I think in terms of strategic levels, as a country, we're able to now in real time understand the, the credentials of students graduating, not just their academic qualifications, but some of their professional certificates, some of their you know, other certificates they've picked up. And it's about building up portfolio, really, which are on the blockchain. And what we're able to do now is, is match that against employment data. So that's the real powerful thing from my perspective. You know, getting a real picture in real time of skills mismatches and we're able then to use levers within education to kind of fix the imbalances that exist. Turn the tap on, turn the tap off where necessary. So it puts us in a far better place in terms of calibrating skills, qualifications and student history. So that's the real value from my perspective. And, and I think more and more universities will slowly use blockchain and education systems. I've just seen that Malta has become a blockchain country. And I think that's the way to go. I think, you know, it's far greater than just verifying student credentials. It's about using that to give young people basically their portfolios for life. When you mentioned sort of geolocating sort of skills data and, and, and sort of 
feeding that back into, you know, whether it's developing university curriculums or flexing university curriculums if you know that perhaps a student demographic is sort of larger one year than, than the year previous and that kind of thing. Are you seeing more services pop up in that space? So I know, for example, there's a company here, I have to remember what they're called, but they, they do the similar thing to LinkedIn where, you know, basically they look at all of the adverts out there, what skill sets are being required in a certain geography and then yeah. kind of try and triangulate yeah. uh, that with providers as well. Well, I mean, it's interesting you mentioned LinkedIn because we've just engaged with LinkedIn to provide us that real-time data. So LinkedIn have got access to over 700 million professionals around the world. And what they're able to do is, is share with us real-time data in terms of jobs available, in terms of skills sought after, in terms of trends... Uh, and also, in, importantly, jobs in decline. You know, that allows us, uh, in terms of developing policy... I think the problem with education is that uh, education should live and work in the future. Because if you think about the, the timescale to develop, get approval for new programmes, implement them, often you're talking three, four, five years, and that's way too late. So what we really need, need to be doing is actually looking at emerging job trends, emerging skill patterns and start to act on that far quicker than we're currently doing. So I'll give you a good example is that next week we're launching our big data science program and we're doing that in, in partnership with Liverpool John Moore University and it's the first one in Bahrain and one of the few of its kind in the region and the, re- and the reason for that is really simple that more and more jobs are going to re- rely on data and people having a real deep understanding of how to use data to create value. So you know, rather than wait and, you know, wait for that empirical evidence to come through, sometimes you've just got to say, look, you know, the patterns are clear and we need to take a bit of a risk because the risk of doing nothing is far greater than actually not acting now. So we're using it in terms of policy development, in terms of new programme development in particular and underpinning that with skills. Isn't it really interesting what you said about education needing to be in the future and about the, the kind of development times that are necessary because I've seen quite a lot of pushback around the idea of jobs of the future and you know these job titles coming in etc and people saying well actually that's not that different it's like a data analyst but you know now it's called x but I think there is something quite useful in in, you know with the Oxford dictionary every year they add a couple of words so you know I think this year they added woke and things like that because uh, you know all these things that people tend to use on social media and influenced by the the kind of uh, communication on there but it, there is a power in defining these things. And, you know, if, if you use a certain term, it will speak to people that are familiar with that language and, and, and kind of, you know, it does have an effect. So I think for universities, colleges, schools to have an understanding of what that language is and to start to, you know, use it where it's useful and it speaks to industry and it speaks to young people, then, yeah, there's something something powerful in that, I think. I don't think it's just about buzzwords it is about defining the world we live in as well i think so and i think we do hear a lot of buzzwords absolutely and i think that when we talk about jobs of the future it's nuanced look there's certain parts of the world that move faster than others i think the context is key here and we we shouldn't overlook that but there is no doubt regardless of where we are in the world that you know still a lot of jobs will still be low and medium tech i I think that's certainly the case in uh, emerging countries and developing countries but the reality is that most, a lot of jobs that will be created will be based around ABCD, artificial intelligence, blockchain, cloud and data. And whether we like it or not, we have to respond to those challenges. I think 
definitely looking at what those jobs mean and the kind of skills that sit beneath it are really critical to, to higher education. Because higher education is coming under significant challenge now. Students are really looking at things and saying, do I really want to self-fund that and leave university with that debt and what am I going to get out of it? And employers at the same time responding saying, we haven't got enough skill, human capital coming through. Businesses are suffering as a result of that. So I think that the days of universities working in isolation are, are truly over. And the only way forward for, for tertiary education is for this kind of a hybrid model between employers and, and universities working far closer than ever before in terms of collaboration around curriculum, teaching and assessment. For your students, where do a lot of those students end up? Is it locally? Is it internationally? So I think uh, typically in the, in, the, in the region, the history has been uh, for the oil-rich Gulf uh, states that students would end up probably in a public sector job, but those days are over now. So the collapse in oil prices are the significant socio-economic impact and the driver for the future now is private sector so we've had to do a lot of work around information advice and guidance to tell young people actually you know your your parents and your parents parents may have worked in the public sector but it's pretty sure we're pretty sure that you're not going to so it's about working on them far greater in terms of their mindset and their attitude because definitely the private sector has a different mindset uh, to the public sector and key drivers are clearly you know profitability and that means young people being far more critical thinkers entrepreneurial in, in the workplace uh, and having a really strong work ethic so I think you know we've had to work not just on the kind of curriculum side and the and, the, and, and obviously one of the other emerging trends for us as employers are, are looking far more for professional certificates. So we are, you know, Amazon, for example, has built a data centre on our next to the campus. And they're very clear that getting Amazon certified students is a mandate for them. So we have to respond to that. And we see more and more of that happening now. That's interesting. So that's basically doing like a bespoke course that certifies yeah. the skills that Amazon Absolutely. Recognizes. Yeah, absolutely. And in many ways, in terms of universities, we typically have been against that kind of professional certificate. But the reality is we have to respond accordingly because more and more employers see professional certificate as bridging the gap between the world of employment and the universities. So the way we're framing that now is that students will graduate with a university degree and as well as that, they'll have a portfolio of professional certificates that they've built up along the way. So when they graduate, they have a portfolio which is evidence-based, skills-based, as well as stuff that they've done in society and extracurricular stuff. So I think that days of just leaving university with a piece of paper saying I've graduated are over. Really, really interesting. And... I think when we chatted before, you, you were saying that there is a sort of burgeoning sector around, you know, whether it's fintech or 3D printing, yeah, yeah. where you are. So yeah. I'm guessing that that all affects the Absolutely. uptake of courses at your university as well. Yeah, sure. So Bahrain is, a, is establishing itself as a hub now. Well, it is a hub for fintech. So a year ago, Fintech Bay was established. And in the last 12 months, almost 40 international companies have set up in Fintech Bay. So it's become a real hotbed for startups in the fintech space. And, uh, that, you know, that makes a lot of sense in terms of the transition to digital banking, in terms of the amount of young people using their smartphones for, for, for banking, uh, and the amount of people in the region that are typically are unbanked. So if you put the whole thing together, there's a real opportunity for fintech, and we're, we're seeing that in Bahrain. But I think Bahrain is now really positioned itself to lead into the fourth industrial revolution and leapfrog. So I think that the skills we're focusing very much are things 
things around artificial intelligence, blockchain and cloud and big data and using that as a vehicle really to attract foreign direct investment to come to Bahrain. So the view for us is, look, if, if we build it, people will come and we're starting to see that. So you said that you, when you come here, you, you take one big idea away. Yeah. What, do you know what that is yet, or are you still on the lookout? Well, I mean, I, there's, a, there's a couple of really interesting things today. The presentation on artificial intelligence was really interesting because I think that we overlook the local context of artificial intelligence, and, and I think also the, the building of local capacity to understand and, and really deploy artificial intelligence to, to really create value for students. But the session I've just had with OECD and the Minister of Education for Portugal, which is around the PISA schools, was fascinating because, you know, we, we look at a lot of these, these tables, PISA, TIMS, PEARLS, and obviously university rankings. But when it's all, all said and done, these are, these are just there to inform institutions in terms of doing things. They are not a clearly defined ranking table or a clearly defined a measurement of a country's success. And I think that... You know, we need to look beyond the kind of headlines and some of the detail. And I think that gets forgotten about. It's often about the journey a country's made. And it's also about creating equity within the education system as well and giving, you know, life chances to, to all regardless of their socioeconomic background. I think those important narratives often get overlooked when we just look at these headlines. And, and quite ironically, like the OECD yeah. have always sort of said, that's not what this is about, I yeah, think. Right, and right. Andreas Psycho is always quite keen to point out, like, Actually, there is. I mean, if you do, if you have like a two hundred slide deck, yeah. which he's quite keen on, like yeah, because yeah. it's like there are all these different facets of what that actually means when you break it down. But of course, like in the press, it's generally like these are the top five, or you that's, know, right, because, that's right, yeah, that's right, that's right, that's right. Kind of how these things go. Absolutely, and I and I think I think we need to be a bit better in how we understand that information because you're absolutely right. Countries are under pressure. They look at the headlines. Uh, parents will look at headlines and see that this, their country has, has gone up or gone down. But what does that actually mean? You know, what does that mean? It doesn't actually give us the detail of the strides that have been made in, in the last few years. Or, or in fact, actually, education reform doesn't happen overnight. It is a process which takes years and years. And I think that we are living in a world that is very different to what it used to be. It's far more impatient. And we are driven by social media. Everything's about instant swipe left swipe right that's the world we live in and actually i think we you know it's far more complex than that absolutely and if people want to find out connect with you you know find out what the next big thing is once you've finished here how should they go about doing that so twitter at cmerza1 that's probably the, the best way thanks so much cameron pleasure always great to see you